Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. This podcast is sponsored by Jewelers Mutual. In 1913, a group of jewelers were told their livelihoods were uninsurable. They came together through those times, and in doing so, Jewelers Mutual was formed. Today, they're here to protect you through the next century. To help for the times ahead, they've taken extra measures to help your business. To learn more, visit jewelersmutual.com slash measures. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski will interview David Kelly, CEO of the Natural Diamond Council. Hey everyone, it's Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK. Welcome to the Jewelry District. I'm here with my co-host. Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online. And we have today as our guest, David Kelly, who is the CEO of the Natural Diamond Council, which used to be the Diamond Producers Association. David took over the group starting in January, joined last December, and he's been spearheading a big rebrand, a big relaunch of the group, and we're going to talk all about that. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hi, Rob. Hi, Victoria. Hi, David. Well, it's great to have you. You're joining us from Stamford, Connecticut. Is that right? Yes, that's right. The, the accent doesn't give it away, but uh, that's that's now my hometown. Well, so yeah, speaking of the accent, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background. You're obviously, well, I guess not obviously, but it sounds like you're from the UK. I know you worked with the Watchers of Switzerland group prior to joining the DPA. And before that, where'd you come from? Yeah, kind of how, how did I get here? It's a question I ask myself on many occasions. But looking back, most recently, I was with the Watch of Switzerland group, as you said. Many people will know that the UK's largest retailer of luxury watches launched into the US kind of two, two and a half years ago. And uh, and I really was here to support them in, in, in that launch, managing all their marketing and advertising and communications for the Watch of Switzerland stores and also after the acquisition of the Mayor's Group down in Florida and Atlanta. So... And then before that, I was 15 years with the Ralph Lauren Corporation. I was initially 10 years in Geneva, where I ended up running the European advertising and marketing function there for them. Then they asked me to move to New York about seven and a half years ago to take over the global marketing and advertising function. And, and that was really my introduction to all things in the US, to New York, and a further experience in my, my luxury marketing career. Wow. And then how did that transition from Ralph Lauren to Watchers of Switzerland go? How did you get into this particular industry? Yeah. So, I mean, the transition um, with Watchers of Switzerland, it was a very different size company, obviously. It was great to be in more of a, a startup environment than the fact we were launching into a new market. It was great to be, to be able to explore new territories and more kind of hands-on in things. Obviously, at Ralph Lauren, we had a huge organization all around the world. But it, so it was great to be in retail. It was great to be at the entrepreneurial end of marketing. And then I was asked by the board of the then Diamond Producers Association if I would join them back towards the latter half of last year, which was a great honor. I obviously took a look at the marketplace. I took a look at the opportunities. And it was a very easy decision for me to make, given the potential that I see in this market. One of the things that I've heard you say a bunch of times is you're coming into this as a relative newcomer to the business. And you feel that the diamond industry sees itself very differently than other people see it. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I, mean, I think coming into it from the outside, I probably got as excited about the thought of diamonds and diamond jewellery as anyone does. Having arrived here, I think that the industry probably forgets that a little bit. It's a wonderful product. It's a wonderful industry. 
it's got a great narrative, wonderful stories, and, and, and a little bit, I guess, because of the challenges that the industry has faced over recent years. The challenges tend to take over the psyche more than the opportunities. So I, I hope that the way I see it and the optimism that I have for it is true. And I hope that I can play a small part in setting the industry in a good place for the future. Do you think there is kind of a perhaps a psychological thing that people, see, you know, are very pessimistic when you don't necessarily see that there's a need for that kind of pessimism? Yeah, I, um, and of course, I try and work out why that is. In my view, we are competing in the luxury market. We are competing for a share of discretionary expenditure with other luxury goods like accessories, footwear, handbags, etc., we're also competing against technology with iPhones now being over $1,000. They are now considered a luxury item. We're competing with travel and experiences. And so for me, that's, that's not a threat. That's an opportunity. If we set our positioning right, we should be able to compete well with all of those. And so, but we haven't done over the last 10 years, to be honest with it. And so for me, I see it as a great opportunity to rebuild our strength, to compete in a much larger market that is well beyond our own specific market. And so I, I tend to look at the opportunities as being considerable as opposed to sometimes the threats, which I see as being somewhat less. So, so yes, I don't want to downgrade the challenges that we have in our industry at the moment. Our industry is going through unprecedented times for our generation with the coronavirus and the political issues in the U.S., but there are great opportunities ahead of us. And that's really what our role is to focus on. And, and I believe once we get through this crisis, there are plenty of great opportunities ahead. You talked about the kind of 10-year gap, as I'm sure you know, one of the reasons that there was a Diamond Producers Association, now Natural Diamond Council, was because of the kind of void left by De Beers, what they call generic or category advertising. Do you think that's one of the reasons we're in the situation that we had this kind of 10-year gap? And do you think that really hurt the business? Yeah, I, th I think having a gap without the emotional marketing, the creation of the dream around diamonds is a major reason behind it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's specific to De Beers not doing it or there not being the equivalent of a diamond producer association. We have an unusual structure in our market that there's no one else in the luxury market that isn't dominated by brands at the relevant tiers. So traditionally what happens in other markets is that you have very strong brands that play that role. Retailers are wonderful at doing transactional marketing at client relationships. But in our industry, we have this gap that without brands, we don't have a high level of investment in building brand equity in products and product collections. And so there is undoubtedly a void. It's a void that the Natural Diamond Council will do its best to fill. But that's really part of the structural reasons in our industry to maintain our market share in the context of luxury. Well, that seems like a good moment to ask you about the name change and this new focus that you're taking with the Natural Diamond Council. Yeah, I mean, the name is just a small part of it. We wanted to rename ourselves just to make sure that what we were calling ourselves is who we are and what we do. But more importantly, the, the audience that we're speaking to is predominantly millennial audience. It's an audience that is getting all of their content digitally and online. And again, it's an audience that our industry needs to invest more money in, needs to invest more time in. Our strategy really is to create a platform that gives us visibility in an audience 365 days of the year. As the Natural Diamond Council, we're brand agnostic, we're retailer agnostic. So therefore, in our view, we can be an authority. 
And that is our objective, to build these very strong digital platforms around the world that will enable us and all of our partners to be able to talk about what we do amazingly well, but to talk about it to a broad and very significant audience. So we'll still be doing major advertising campaigns, but the concept of us being digital platforms and a publisher is the new part to it. And that's where I think we can really build authority, build audience and build influence for our industry. So that's the kind of big overview of the strategy. You know, I'm looking at the website now and you're right, I do recognize a lot of the writers. So is the idea to sort of refresh this content, what is the frequency in terms of new content and how are you pushing it out there in the world other than I suppose just through your social? At the moment we are probably two to three a week. We would love to get it to a point of being five to seven new articles a week that's on there. We have gone through this process in a very short period of time. I took over this role in January and we're very fortunate to have a great team that has managed to put this complete 180 pivot in place in very difficult circumstances in just four months. So we think we've done a good job so far. At the moment, we'll be updating content two or three times a week, but we want to get that to being at least five times a week. And as I said, there are so many great writers in our industry. There's so much great content that now it's just us marrying those two things up together. And it gives the writers a great platform to get much higher visibility. The visits to our website are already looking at 10 to 20 times what they were before. They will be closer to 40 or 50 times where we were by the time we get to the end of the year. And that's expertise that we have in our team that we can bring to the industry. And that's what we really believe can make a difference for everyone. So I'm looking at your website now, which is naturaldiamonds.com. Is there anything that you see as kind of as an article that you run or that you see as the direction that you really want to take this going forward? No, I mean, I think there's so many directions, actually, Rob. When you look at all the content, we've actually organized the content into different pillars. So we have lots of different contents broken down into pillars because different audiences like to read different things about the industry. But I think we are fairly unique in our industry in the sheer amount of content that we have and the level that consumers want to engage with it if presented properly. Yeah, it's a challenging time to be driving anyone to anything these days. I guess, what's your sense of the marketplace right now as we head into summer and where your retail constituents are in terms of reopening? What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, in in the US, it it varies state by state. The the timing at at which retailers close, the timing at which they're reopening, it, it varies very much state by state. My own personal view is that business will return once the consumer feels safe to do so. And, and if that's not with a vaccine, then that's with testing. I think the consumer has been spending more money on stay at home, whether that be on things to make the office more comfortable or home clothing, anything around staying at home, more food at home, possibly even more wine at home. Those are markets that have done best during this time period. My view is, and we're starting to see some indications that as the consumer comes back, they'll want to switch that to going out expenditure. And clearly jewellery and particularly diamond jewellery is much more in that category. So therefore, having had a very bad April in line with retail sales, the main numbers looked very positive in terms of people starting to look again for jewellery and diamond jewellery. So I'm always optimistic. I'm always respectful of the challenges and where they lie in the short term. But I do believe the consumer will come back as soon as they feel safe to do so. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews is what helps make them possible. Help spread the word. 
Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jeweler District on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And now, back to the show. What's your sense about engagements and weddings? Do you think we'll see more of them later in the year? We'll obviously see more weddings next year because a lot of people postponed. But do you have any sense of where that's going? Only anecdotally. Obviously, there aren't statistics published on engagement, but the subject of relationships clearly becomes more intense when people are in isolation. I guess it becomes a make or break for relationships and our industry celebrates the relationships as they get stronger. We symbolize connection and relationships and all of the cultural insight, all of the consumer values seem to be pointing in that direction. You've been talking a lot about diamond jewelry, but obviously, as you well know, there's another kind of diamond in the market. And you've talked about the industry's obsession with this particular product. But how do you say, okay, people want diamond jewelry. We want them to go to natural diamonds instead of Lavrone diamonds, which is obviously what the Lavrone people want. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our role is particularly to grow the market for natural diamonds. So I hope in everything we're communicating the values particularly of natural diamonds come through. But our focus needs to be on the growth and the opportunity. Lab-growns will have a place somewhere in the world in the future. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what scale that's going to be at. But it will remain small compared with natural diamonds. You've also said you want to be brand agnostic, but you also want to aid the development of certain brands. How do you do that while still maintaining this neutral position? So long as we're objective, we can do that. We're not a paper play. So brands, designers, retailers are not paying to be on our platforms. So we can have the editorial integrity. We're not casting a critical eye. So we're not rating or ranking or giving a personal opinion on the jewelry. We're here to give a platform to and celebrate innovation and great things that are happening in our industry. So where the opportunity arises for us to celebrate that, we will celebrate it. And we encourage partners, if we're not already in contact with you, to get in contact with us because that's what we're here to do. We're very lucky. Our business is not a financial business to make money. We are very kindly supported by our member companies. So we're offering a service and a platform to be able to support and promote innovation, newness, anything that is exciting in our industry. And it would be a considerable achievement if we could help young talent that is currently doing great things, but doesn't have the platforms to reach a broad audience. When you see opportunities in the business, I mean, people have talked about self-purchase. Where do you see the big opportunities, especially for diamonds? Where do they lay? What markets are we underserving? I would say in terms of demographic, the younger audience and clearly younger in the context of it being affordable. We as an industry, I think we would all admit we haven't been the greatest at digital and how we talk to consumers through the digital platforms. And that's the same all around the world. So there's all sorts of contexts in which we can promote when people are buying diamonds and diamond jewellery. And whether that be for self-purchases, we feel particularly coming out of the current crisis, it will be about connections, it'll be about relationships, it'll be about friendships and celebrating those. So for the balance of the year, we feel that above all else, it's making sure that diamonds are and diamond jewellery is top of mind when it comes to celebration. So a long-winded answer to your question, Rob, I know, but it's, it's not so much celebrating a specific occasion for people to buy. It's more about building and reminding consumers just what diamonds stand for in the context of all of those occasions. You talked about price points. 
that there isn't necessarily, especially for younger consumers, is not necessarily the kind of affordable price points. How do we get around that, especially given that, you know, it's it's probably going to be a tough year this year or next year? Yeah, I mean, all of the indications are that people will want fewer, better things. So I try to avoid the word affordable because what to one person is affordable isn't to another. Yeah, so we very much want to make sure that we are positioning diamonds as being a good alternative for what I call discretionary income. It's a challenge that what is affordable, does the economy have a, an impact coming out of this? Those are things that I can't influence. So all that we can really do is make sure that if diamond jewellery is affordable, that we make sure that their preference is for diamond jewellery over other competitor products. I'm thinking here about the Support Your Local Jeweler campaign that you've been involved in as well in parallel to all this. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and how that began and what you're hearing, which stories you feel have resonated most. Yeah, so we very early on in the crisis, we joined together with the other industry bodies, including JCK. So thank you very much for your support. Really with two missions, one with Support Your Local Jeweller, which is about communicating with consumers, reminding them of the value of local businesses and particularly jewellers. And then separately for jewellery retailers, particularly, we set up the Jewellers Support Network, which was one of the very early insights when the crisis started is that there was a lot of great information being provided by a lot of different people but there wasn't a single point of reference to know to go to to know where to go to find all of that information and certainly early on in the crisis the traffic to the website indicated that it was a very useful tool for retailers i think now maybe more people are more familiar with where to go there is more published information on on how to handle the crisis but certainly through the industry part of naturaldiamonds.com, we will continue to keep resources there as to how we can support retailers. So in addition to this content aspect, you're also going to still advertise, you said. Can you give us a sense of what that will look like? What kind of agency, what kind of budget we should be expecting? You know, what kind of ads do you expect to be producing and when will they air? So the biggest challenge that we face through this crisis is being able to shoot a campaign. At the moment, the world isn't open to the number of people that we need to do a shoot. So we hope to be able to shoot the campaign in early July. We haven't yet figured out where we can shoot. We are just finalizing who we will shoot with, who the talent will be. So that's the next big challenge that we have on our desk at the moment. But Assuming that we figure all that out, and we will do, then we will be launching a new campaign to consumers from the 1st of September. So the budget is going to be good. And I really do believe that between being a publisher and everything we're doing in the digital platform, and then launching with this new campaign from September, that we'll be able to make a significant impact that will benefit all of the jewellery trade. I don't know if you've looked at the history of diamond advertising, but is there any kind of campaigns when you look at all the diamond advertising that's been done over the years, is there anything that you think has been a really great campaign or something of a role model or just something that you admire? We spent a lot of time at the start of this process looking at the old De Beers ads, looking at luxury jewelry ads. For me, it's about looking outside of our industry. 
particularly to successful brands, successful industries, and how they're talking to clients. So we've looked at our own industry, obviously, but also we've looked at fashion, we've looked at telecommunications, we've looked at fragrance. We've really analyzed the success of campaigns for many different brands and industries. And obviously, I hope that the industry you know, will like it. Is there anything in particular you find those other industries doing that this industry does not as far as messaging and approach? Yeah, those, a lot of industries have done a great job of building a dream. And it's what De Beers used to do. If you look back on the old De Beers campaigns, clearly the campaigns are very dated. Values have changed dramatically in those times. But they were very, very impactful in terms of what they did and they created the dream. And that's if you look at most other luxury brands, they're creating a dream. They're creating an emotional dream that connects with people. But as I said, there's different things you can take out a lot of different campaigns, but we've done a real deep dive on them. So I'm very confident that when we can present it to you and all of the retail trade, that what we'll show will be excellent. Looking forward to seeing this campaign. Feels like a while since we had something very memorable. So on the new Natural Diamond Council website, there's a section for diamond industry professionals. Can you tell us a little bit about that section and also how you how you came to form it? Uh, well, actually, we had a site beforehand that we've enhanced. So really, it's been built with the view to being a destination for consumers, but also being a destination for industry professionals. And for retail particularly, we have all of the educational tools that are there, and we'll be developing those further. But really, it's a destination that retailers can go to to support everything that we're doing in stores. You know, there's a lot of talk in this country about diversity, especially over the last week. Do you think the jewelry and diamond industry needs to be more diverse and reach out to a more diverse audience? And how do we do that? Yes, undoubtedly. I think that all industries need to be more diverse. There are clearly issues you know, around the world of underserved communities not having the same opportunities that others have. I think we and the fashion world have done a great job of representing diversity in marketing and communication, but that's not enough. I think our industry has all the right intent, but I think that we all have to look deeper and harder and say, does everyone have equal opportunities within our industry? Yeah, feels like we've got a long way to go as an industry, but it certainly starts with some earnest and you know, soul-searching conversations, which I think many of us have been having over the last weeks. Is there any any final thoughts? Yeah. So, as I said, we see the long-term opportunities as being significant. When we come out of this crisis, nobody knows when we'll come out of it, but we do see great opportunity for diamonds and diamond jewelry. As a Natural Diamond Council, we are here to partner with everybody. And I encourage everyone to reach out to us and ask questions, look for opportunities and see how we can help. We're here to support the industry. Thank you for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Katie Clifford, co-producer alongside Kathy Passero. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK, sponsored by Jewelers Mutual.